Are you finding your joy in the Lord? Or are you allowing your circumstances to get you down? I'll have to be honest with you. At times, I allow circumstances to get me down. And I don't always find my joy in the Lord. But I know He is the true source of joy. And I know that this book will help us to understand how to find our joy in the Lord rather than our circumstances. It's it's in Him that we can find joy. So go on this journey with us over the next several months as we look through the book of, of Philippians and see how we can live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we can find our joy in the Lord and Him alone. You can find, as we read the rest of the book of Philippians, that they work together to advance the gospel. They are partnered together through prayers for Him in His affliction. They're partnered together as they suffered themselves for the sake of the gospel. They're partnered together as they became a radiant witness of the gospel. He says, therefore, I urge you, live this way because of what God has done for you. He was a prisoner, confined as a criminal would be, for no other reason than proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to an unbelieving world. You know, we go to God in prayer for our unsaved family member, our friend, our co-worker, because we're saying, hey, God, God, I depend on you. I cannot save this family member, our friend, our co-worker. Like, only you can do that. I'm depending on you to save them. Today, let me remind you that if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are called to live worthy of the gospel. The entire book of Philippians speaks to this theme, and verses 27 to 30 of chapter 1 teaches us specific ways how to live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the way to the cross, that we, we must be willing to suffer, and then when we suffer, we are identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ. Looking to Jesus, the founder, the originator, and the perfecter, the completer of our faith, will enable us to have the Holy Spirit to do something far greater than dunk a basketball or paint a landscape, but to live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do we work at this both personally and corporately? Because it is God who works in us to will and to work all for His good pleasure. Change your attitude. Because God, through His Word, in the person of His Holy Spirit, came into our lives and we began to see light through God's eyes. Are we willing to risk whatever it may be that God is calling us to for the glory of the cross? Because that's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is of surpassing worth. Knowing Him surpasses everything else that might try to compete with that. Gaining Jesus means that we are completely righteous before God. You know, if nothing else, this pandemic should have taught us that we don't really know what tomorrow brings. Let's run the race that all we have, all that we have, run it today. We need to imitate guys like Paul and strain forward. Do you know that The the things that we can set our mind on, these earthly things, are worth forsaking. All of them if God calls us to. I'm even talking about the nearest and dearest things to you. Your spouse, your family, your money, your job. All worth forsaking for Christ. Do you eagerly await our Messiah's return? And there's the answer that the Father said, No, this cup's not going to pass by you. Think about it. God the Father told His precious one and only Son, No. Why? For our benefit, friends. 
That's the only way we can have peace. Because peace belongs to God. Let me remind you, first of all, that unless you have submitted your life to Jesus Christ, you will never be able to possess lasting commitment, contentment. Excuse me. Why? Because as Paul tells us in the letter that he wrote to the Romans, all of us have sinned. You, me, all of us. And the consequence of our sin is that you and I are born enemies of God. Look at the main connection that Paul makes that God will, in fact, supply our needs. What does he base his claim on? Look, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Most of all, Paul knows God will supply their needs because of the gospel itself. When you give to the advancement of the gospel, you need to remember the gospel. Oh, if I give this much, uh, I might not have X amount left over for what might happen on my house or my car. All of us have lived there. But then you remember, wait a minute. God did not withhold His only perfect Son for me. For my ultimate need, which was to be made right with Him. Is He really not going to provide for my physical needs if I give? Amen. Well, good morning, church. I want to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say what a joy it is again to see you this morning. You know, there's, there's nothing like when we gather together. There's nothing like that. It helps us to grow individually and corporately as a body of believers. And I hope, I hope this was helpful for you to see just a few snippets of where we've been as we studied the book of Philippians together. You know, we took only 18 Sundays to get through the book of Philippians. Now, if you think that's long, well, it took John MacArthur a year and a half, 79 Sundays to get through the book of Philippians. We did it a lot faster than that. Anyway, the theme that we followed was walking worthy of the gospel. And how difficult is it to walk in such a worthy way if we don't actually remember what we learned. It was one of the reasons for this recap. We want to remember it so that we can walk this walk daily with Jesus Christ. Going all the way back to chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving for the faith of the gospel. Amen? I encourage you to take some time when you're sitting around with nothing else to do <laughs> to go back and look on the live stream. Check out some of these messages again. I'm sure the Lord will teach you more than, than you heard the first time. What are some of the things we learned? We learned about joy in this book. We learned about striving toward the goal of becoming Christ-like. We learned about working out our salvation in fear and trembling. We learned about humility. We learned about having good relationships one with another. We learned about being lights in the world. We learned about the power 
of the Gospel. We learned about real peace that only comes from Jesus. We learned about life-changing faith. We learned about prayer. We learned about contentment. And we learned about God's provision. Last week, Pastor Chris spoke to us from chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. And he talked specifically about Paul's partnership with the Philippian church in the work of missions. Paul was the missionary who needed support, and the Philippian church supported him in the very practical way of financial giving. Oh, Ndugu, Upo, Karibu Sana. Nafurai kukuswana. Na mimi nafurai kukuona sana. Aha. Habari yako? Anasalamika kidogo. Ah? Nasalamika kidogo. Niko mzuri sana. Okay, safi. Hawa jambo wote? Hawa jambo wote. Na mchumba wako? Ah, mchumba wangu yuko mzima sana. Safi sana. Na baba, mama, eh, wote ni sawa sana. Babu, bibi, wote ni sawa. Aha, huko shambani unawasemaje? Eh, huko shambani ni sawa. Kuna mvua? Kuna mvua, mvua inanyesha. Ah, na mazao. So, that was an example of a greeting in another culture. We talked about some things, and I'll inform you of that as we go along. But before we get too far away from what Chris preached last week, I wanted to demonstrate to you what an East African greeting looks like. In a few minutes, you'll see how it ties into our message today. I decided to do it in Swahili, so maybe I should give you a little bit of translation. <laughs> it was much more natural to do it in Swahili with Ernest. Uh, we basically, I just asked him how he was how his father was, how his mother was, how his fiance was, how is the farm, is it raining there, are they getting crops? It goes on and on and on. This is the way a cross-cultural missions greeting goes. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk about that as we go along. Now, today's message is not about cross-cultural missions, believe it or not. But I can't help myself. It always comes out. Anyway, today's message is about relationships, relationships of churches one with another and about the people of God, the saints, whether cross-culturally or not. It happens in both. It's just three short verses today. So if you want to look at that, look in the Bible. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 to 23. And we're going to see two very important concepts in today's passage. It's about greetings, and it's about saints. So let me read that for you. Philippians 4, 21 to 23. It says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Would you take a moment and pray with me? Father, as I approach this text, you know, Lord, I struggled with whether to do a recap of the whole book 
or just preach what you show me from these three small verses. Lord, I thank you for your guidance as I open your word and ask you to guide me. Lord, would you guide each of us as we listen? And Lord, would you take the words, your words, Lord, and teach us by your spirit. And if I say anything out of turn or that is not of you, Lord, would you just erase it? Lord, it's a burden to open your word and to rightly divide it. But I pray that you use it for the glory of your name today. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So, if you were to choose the most important book in the New Testament where you would want to study deep, core, doctrinal beliefs, where would you go? What book would that be? Did I hear Romans? Absolutely right. Romans. The word greet is used 49 times in the New Testament and 16 times in the book of Romans alone. So, 16 times in the most important doctrinal book of the New Testament. I think that's significant that Paul devotes an entire chapter, chapter 16 of Romans, to greeting people personally. It's very important. That lends me to believe that greetings are important to God. And so they should be important to us, right? Yeah, okay, thank you. I'm kind of one of those teachers, preachers that feed off you, so make a lot of noise, all right? A few moments ago, I demonstrated to you what an East African greeting looks like. And that was just one greeting with one person. So imagine what your missionary needs to get accustomed to when he or she is called to repeat that kind of process 30 to 40 times a day. Pray for your missionary. They need it. And that, was, uh, that takes a huge chunk of your day as a missionary. So they need our prayers. Now, that was mostly an African cultural encounter, although many other cultures, they have different practices when they greet one another. I was telling Chris this morning, I'm glad we're not French during COVID-19. <laughs> that would be a little awkward. We Christians, we are called, however... We are exhorted to live in a biblical culture where greeting one another is supposed to be a demonstrable affection toward one another. That should be the norm of how we live. We're called to express brotherly and sisterly affection for one another through our greeting of each other. It's a part of our fellowship when we come together. And typical for Paul, he, he probably wrote this last greeting in his, in his own hand. Those big words, big giant handwriting that he uses. And we normally tend to skip those, don't we? When you're reading through the book of Philippians and you get to those final three verses where he's saying farewell, you just go by it. I do that too often. We tend to skip those. But in those three verses... We see Paul's practical Christian theology playing out in real life. And here at the end of the letter, we see that his theology was not too lofty and far above us regular people that he cares for deeply. These few verses at the end of such a wonderful epistle, they tell us in just a few short words that it is vital that we be committed 
to the fellowship of the saints. Verse 21 and 22 alone, there are four different emphases on greeting. The first two are in verse 21. It says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So first Paul is saying to the leaders at Philippi that he wants them to greet every believer in the Philippian church, each and every individual believer. He's not saying, just give a shout out to the church for me. No, he's saying, I want your leaders to seek out each believer in the church and greet them for me. Tell them Paul remembers them and greets them warmly. That should tell us something about how important Paul believes greeting is to the Christian. How important do we think it is in our North American culture to greet people at that level? How important is it for us to know one another individually at that level? That's a tall challenge in our culture here in North America. Now, many of you ask me often, what do you miss most about Africa? And I'm always quick to say, the people. One of the special things I miss about living in Africa is the level of personal interaction that you consistently have with people. People live outside there all the time. Here we don't do that. In the morning, we get up, we get ready, we slip out, we go into our attached garage, we get in our car, hit the button, the door goes up, and we drive off to the office. At the end of the day, we do that in reverse, don't we? As you're coming down the street, you're hitting the button already. Come on, door, open up. The door opens up, you drive in, shut the car off, close the door, slip into the house. We never even see, let alone greet our neighbor or anybody else that's outside there. One of my African friends described it as the house is eating its owner. Now, make no mistake, it's not easy to live outside all the time with people all around at every moment. It can be one of the most frustrating things for a task-oriented Westerner to get used to. You feel like you're always thinking, oh, no, I don't have time to hang out and greet everybody. I've got to get something done. The Bible tells us that we must be much more relational than that then our culture shows us how we need to be. We need to individually greet one another often. It's one of the strongest ways we communicate our care for someone, to look them right in the eye and say, how are you doing? No, really. Tell me how you're doing. Not the pat answer of, ah, I'm fine. Really, how are you doing? That's important. That's what the Scriptures teach us. This pandemic has brought about a very sharp focus to those small, important things. Those things that can only come when we're together. Fellowship with other believers is not only vitally important as a means of grace, but it's one of the best ways we can communicate our affection to one another. There are just a couple of reasons that the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, why this is important. He says, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Meeting together is not just fun and encouraging. 
although it is, it's even more than that. It's a command. We're to meet together and greet one another. Now, for those of you who still haven't come back to church yet, because the risk is just still too great, or maybe you have an emotional or a physical reason why you can't wear a mask, that's completely understandable. And we pray that the Lord is going to open up a way very soon for us all to be together again when the time is right. But for those that simply find it easier to sit on the couch and watch the live stream rather than get dressed and come out to glean whatever level of fellowship we can still have, well, I don't think the writer of Hebrews would agree with that. I don't think I would. Secondly, in verse 21, the second half, Paul says, The brothers who are with me greet you. Here he's explaining that there is this close-knit little group of people, these brothers and sisters around him that are part of his team. They're intimately involved in the work of the gospel together. They support one another through thick and thin. They care for each other at a deep level. As a matter of fact, he says to the Philippians, you actually know one of them personally. It's your brother Epaphroditus. You heard earlier in this letter that he was so dedicated to both me and to you that he almost died bringing me the help and serving me in ways that you couldn't do. He, along with Timothy and possibly others, maybe Tychicus, he was the guy who carried the letters of Ephesians and Colossians, Aristarchus, most likely John Mark, Luke have been there. Maybe even Onesimus. We're going to talk about him over the next few weeks. No one knows exactly how many were there with Paul at different times, but they all wanted to show their affection, their solidarity, and their connection with the Philippian believers because they shared what? A common bond in Christ Jesus. They shared that together. And we see in many of the epistles, the apostles had these valued co-workers in ministry that they depended on. This is how the Lord has made us, to rely on each other for fellowship and for assistance in ministry and in pleasing the Lord. There's no such thing as a healthy Lone Ranger Christian. We need each other as we share in the family of saints. We all benefit, do we not? I spent five years of my life putting together little teams of people like this, ministers of the gospel, working in ways to bring the gospel in culturally relevant ways to people that would otherwise never hear the message of Christ. These teams, we call them Timo teams. They had, they had a, special, a special connection to each other because they were all doing this similar kind of work. When I would go and visit one team, they would say, Oh, when you go and visit that other team, please greet them for me. That wasn't just a one-off greeting. That was personal for those people on those teams. They knew what those individuals were going through, just like what they're going through. They knew that in some ways the culture that they were living in even though it was pagan and not really biblical, it was still simple and close to the common culture of the first century Palestine. 
much more than our own culture today. So in verse 21 alone, we see two important levels of greeting. We see Paul, the great apostle, greeting each and every saint at Philippi individually. We also see other gospel ministers, those that we would call lowercase a apostles or missionaries, in similar work wanting to show their connection in Jesus to the Philippian saints who are also in Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 22. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So the third level of greeting here is all the saints greet you. Paul is sending greetings from the church at Rome in its entirety, a collective body to the church at Philippi. Unlike the greeting in verse 21 that was directed at each and every believer individually. This would be the church leadership giving the greetings from another church to the collective church gathered in front of them. Many times I was charged with this responsibility to fly from Tanzania, coming home for home assignment, come here and greet you in the name of Jesus Christ from the church in Tanzania. Other times I had to actually ask you, do you accept these greetings? You all said yes. And then I took greetings back to the church in Africa. That's that's a special connection in the church universal. Imagine someday in heaven that you and I will see believers from those churches in Tanzania in heaven. That is going to be a special day, is it not? I'm looking forward to that. It's amazing what the Lord does Now, the connection between the Roman church and the Philippian church, that was unique on this side of heaven, even before they get to heaven. If you remember way back in chapter 1, we described the city of Philippi as kind of a, a little Rome. It was a Roman colony that drew its identity from Rome. There was a lot of commonality between the believers in Rome and the believers in Philippi. And they shared a lot of the same, the same day-to-day experiences that come from living in a strong Roman culture. And then finally, the fourth group that Paul emphasizes is a smaller group. But it's a group that is no doubt part of the previous one, the church at Rome. In verse 22, it says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. There is something special about this group. So back in Philippians 1, 12 and 13, I preached on this before. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. You see, the ability of the Lord to penetrate hearts even through walls, across borders, and into amazingly secure places like Caesar's palace. You know, it's it's unstoppable. You can't stop the gospel. Paul is sending greetings to the saints in Philippi from none other than the saints in the household of Caesar. If you know anything about that culture back then, it was dangerous to worship somebody other than Caesar. Any other man, and they considered Jesus just a man, So it was especially dangerous for those in Caesar's household to worship Jesus. Even though Paul was in chains, the gospel is never chained. 
And its saving power can go places that none of us ever dreamed it could go. It went behind the Iron Curtain in Europe. It grew in China, and it continues to grow today. It's growing in Iraq and Iran at a rate that's amazing. Just like it took root in Caesar's household. And what happened in Rome 300 years later? The whole place declared that Christianity was their state religion. That's a lot to happen. Now, it's most likely that all those workers, that myriad of workers, soldiers, civil servants that ran Caesar's household, basically the Roman government, some of them knew personally some of the Philippian believers. I'm sure they had contact. I think that's pretty ironic, isn't it? The Lord works in amazingly strange and wonderful ways to get His gospel into people's lives through other people, through connections, through business. So in just these two short verses, we have seen the power of greeting one another from four different perspectives. So I would say that the Holy Spirit is trying to say something to us about the connected fellowship that begins with affectionate greeting of one another when we gather together. Saints are bound to each other with demonstrable affection of partnership in Christ Jesus through greeting one another. And that ushers in our second word in these verses. That word is saints. We see it written twice in these verses. But it really applies to all four of those categories of greetings that we talked about. So as we're greeting, what's the natural question? Who are we greeting? Right? We're greeting the saints. We're here to greet each other. Paul started this letter addressing the saints. The saints. Back in Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To who? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. And now, he's closing this letter, chapter 4, verse 22, with the affectionate words to the exact same group of people, the saints at Philippi. Now, this little word is very familiar to us who have been in the church for a long time. But you know what? It's very misunderstood in our world around us. If you were asked by someone, say some unbeliever at work that you've been witnessing to, if they were to say to you, are you a saint? What would be your response? I imagine you'd probably hesitate. Uh, I don't know. I would hesitate. I'd want to know. I'd want to understand where are they at first. What do they mean by this word saint? A common understanding might be described like this in our culture today. Here's a quote. She's a saint to go on living with that man. <laughs> Men, hopefully no one says that about our wives. Now, some large denominations, they've defined a saint as a person formally recognized or canonized by the church after death, who may be the object of veneration and prayers for intercession. It would be a super spiritual person who's lived a model Christian life. Catholic theology would say a saint is one who has exhibited unsurpassable devotion to Christ. It makes us want to venerate this person for being virtuous, righteous, or somehow more holy than the average person, which somehow gives them more clout with God, and they can intercede 
for us regular people and get more favors from God. I'll tell you what, that sounds a lot like pagan ancestral worship to me. They actually become intercessors or mediators between people and God. And that flies right in the face of 1 Timothy 2.5, which says this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So naturally, we hesitate to acknowledge to others that we are saints. But for us who believe that the Bible is the infallible, inerrant, very Word of God, we define the term saint as the Bible would. Basically, it's a Christian. It is one who's chosen by God, set apart as holy, as righteous, in right relationship with God the Father, set apart from this polluted, sinful world, and set apart to a holy God. Not because experientially we are righteous, no, not at all, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. When He died on that cruel tree, in our place to satisfy the wrath of God. We are chosen by Him. We are pursued by Him. And we're made alive spiritually. Those who were once dead in their sins, enemies of Christ, made alive and rescued by faith through the grace of God. We need only to repent of our sin and trust Christ alone for our salvation. Then we're declared not guilty in the courtroom of heaven. And the Holy Righteous life of Jesus becomes our reality before God. He no longer sees the righteousness or the lack thereof when he looks at John Russo. No, he sees the righteous life of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I hope that that is the reality of life in Christ for you today, this very moment. If not, come see me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. Now, I've been coming here for a long time to this church. It might be obvious by the color of my hair or the other signs of my longevity. I sat out there in a chair or in a pew like each of you, and every week I listened faithfully to the preaching of God's Word. I went to Sunday school class and learned more there. I learned a lot. I grew. And then I had to serve. I served in the nursery. I loved holding babies. I still do. I taught in Sunday school class. I served as a deacon. I served as an elder. I was commissioned and sent by this church as a missionary. And now I serve as a pastor. Why do I say that? It's not about me. It's about what God can do with human scrap. (laughs) If you're just willing. It's unbelievable what God can do. Now, it's weird because of all that history. When I'm greeted by some of the older saints in the church. They see me in the hallway and they say, good morning, um, um, uh, uh, John, John, uh, no, I mean pastor. It's a real struggle. Nobody knows what to call me anymore. Well, I respond usually by saying, good morning, Saint whoever. And that makes them, just takes the air out of that balloon. Everybody's good at that point. It's awesome that in the long run, we are all simply saints in Christ Jesus. Bought with a terrible price, but now free to live a set-apart, holy life that glorifies the one and only God-man, Jesus Christ. 
Now, in my reading, I ran across a quote that I'd like to read to you from Stephen Lawson. And it says this. It's about the saints in Philippi. As saints in the historical time and geographical place, these Christians stood out in the corrupt world of the Roman Empire like bright stars on a dark night. They were easily distinguished as they lived in an unholy culture. These believers were traveling a different path and headed in a different direction than the immoral society around them. They had a radically different standard of morality that produced an entirely different lifestyle. Everything about them was different from the polluted world in which they lived. Their families were different. Their businesses were different. And their conversations were different. Does this sound familiar, brothers and sisters? We live in an unholy and corrupt world. How do we live in such a place? Well, just like the Philippians and the Romans did. They were filled with God's Spirit. They stood out. They were different. They walked in a manner worthy of the Gospel. And that's what we've been preaching about for 18 weeks. If you walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel, you can't help but be different and be noticed. You're going to stand out like a star on a dark night. Be noticed. Be a testimony. Now the last verse is 23. It says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We've talked a lot about the grace of Jesus Christ already. But I don't know that you can ever say enough about grace. Amen? This last verse is the closing bookend, starting all the way in verse 2 in chapter 1 where we started. It says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This grace which is unmerited, undeserved favor in our lives is a gift from God. We can never earn it. We can never demand it. We must always live in it. The very grace that allowed us to be born again to a living hope by faith in Jesus Christ, that's the same grace that keeps us and sustains us and supplies the strength to keep walking worthy of the Gospel. I hope you want to experience more of this sanctifying grace. This grace that changes me ever so slowly to be more Christ-like in all my relationships, in all my dealings in this polluted world. Without this grace, there would be no joy. But we have this grace freely. This joy-filled, marvelous grace that gives us the ability to exalt our Savior more fully every day as He teaches us by His Spirit through His Word, and among His people in our fellowship. One more quote from Stephen Lawson. He says, From the new birth to the new heavens and the new earth, the Christian life is entirely one of grace. Start to finish, it's all grace. And so I say to you, brothers and sisters, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice.